Hello everyone, I'm Cheryl Musial and welcome to My Care Advisors. Did you know that in the U.S., that currently more than 800,000 older adults reside in assisted living communities, and that number is expected to continue to increase over the next decade? Knowing the differences between senior living options is important, especially when determining the best setting to support independence and living one's best life. In this episode, Senior Care Options to Support Healthy Aging, we are joined by Certified Senior Advisor Nicolette Arajo. She will help explore the differences between independent living and assisted living communities. Well, welcome, Nicolette. It's such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate being here. Well, Nicolette, can you share with our listeners about some of the main differences between independent living and assisted living? I would love to because I find that my clients and their children are often very confused by these two terms. And the terms are bantered around somewhat interchangeably. Independent living could mean anything like we're living in a house independently with a spouse, with a pet, with our kids. But as we age, independent living tends to have a slightly different connotation. Uh, many, in many instances, people over the age of 55 to 60 years old are looking to move into a setting where there are more like-minded individuals. And so they will choose to move into what is commonly referred to as an over 55 community, or they now they call them 55 plus communities. I will say, however, that assisted living communities, which are licensed by the state that they are in, have recently begun to add the term independent living to their titles, to the information on their website. And the reason they've done that is they're really looking to entice seniors who perhaps would not otherwise look at that as an option into checking it out. So these might be people, Cheryl, who are no longer wanting to cook their own meals, who maybe don't want to spend their time cleaning their house or doing their laundry, and who also are looking to spend more time in a social setting that mimics kind of where they're at in their journey in life. And so uh, many assisted living communities are now marketing themselves as independent slash assisted living because the differentiator there is that if it is an assisted living community, that means number one, they're licensed by the state of California and or any other state that they happen to be in. They have regulations that they must follow. They are evaluated by licensing bodies and they have caregivers available and med medical technicians available to provide support to a senior if and when they need it. Thank you, Nicolette, for clarifying those differences. And I was wondering if we could focus a little bit back on independent living. What are the types of independent living communities? And 
You mentioned some of the services, but what are those typical services and amenities that are offered? Absolutely. So what I've found in my my travels in the independent living setting is they can range the gambit all the way from being a, a separate house in an area, a geographic area, perhaps behind a gate in a gated community where someone is living and the um again, the differentiator that allows them to live in that home the way they do is that they happen to meet a certain age criteria and, of course, can afford that home. Uh, There are also um, more like condominiums or apartment uh, lifestyle settings where people uh, also, again, need to meet a certain age criteria. But in those settings, it is a little less independent in that those uh, types of communities may often offer uh, coffee and donuts in the morning. And you can choose to go to their clubhouse and enjoy and partake in that or not. You can cook, you know, bacon and eggs in your kitchen if you'd like. Uh, They also tend to have activities that are Uh, available and centrally coordinated for residents. So they may have a, you know, hey, once a month, we're going to all rent a bus and go to the races together or to the local casino. Uh, They may also, in many occasions, be geographically located near a grocery store, a, a pharmacy, maybe even an acute care hospital, so that Again, geographically, they're a little bit more conducive for someone who is beginning that aging process. Not that we're not doing that from the day we we set toe on the ground. Um, also, uh, these independent communities, um, they, again, just as a reminder, they are not licensed, uh, so they're completely independent. They... Um, uh, but but what I will tell you is there's this this in- interesting hybrid model that recently has come about. So these are again buildings that tend to offer apartment living for people who meet a certain age demographic. But what they are doing is they may be providing two meals a day. They may have a clubhouse and happy hours and things like that. And they're contracting with an in-home care agency that has caregivers available. So if someone is living there completely independently, may still drive, may still, you know, go take cruises for a week or whatever, at some point, if they begin to need some assistance with their activities of daily living, which we'll get into in a minute, and therefore require the aid of a caregiver, they can contract with this independent agency that has caregivers stationed in the building and available to them. The difference there, though, is they are still, the building itself is not licensed The care that's being provided is being provided under the license of that in-home care agency. I know that's a little confusing, but that's a new model that's coming to light. Oh, that's very interesting. So in a way, Nicoletta, it it sounds like it, it's almost like living at home. And if you need some in-home personal care, 
for that assistance, they are having it right there and maybe in that building, like you said. Absolutely. Um, and again, you've got this um, confluence of people that are, um, you know, in a similar situation living around you. So there's um, there's a greater sense of community. Actually, it sounds like a lot of fun, too, because when you have like-minded people able to go and have some have some fun, maybe it's going to the shopping ex- expedition or on whatever it may be, that it's it's great to be with people of your own age. Absolutely, it is. And I think there's especially um, still what we're seeing more and more is that women are tending to outlive men. And so I think for a single female, it provides a sense of security because she feels like I'm in this building where people understand I'm a single female and therefore may feel more vulnerable. And uh, she can develop relationships with other single senior females. And therefore, there's a, again, there's just a greater sense of camaraderie and of comfort. I was wondering, I know it has to vary across not only just the type of communities, but across the United States. But do you have like an average cost for independent living? And how do people normally pay for those services? Cheryl, those are great questions. And you are 100% on the mark. It does vary significantly. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Oftentimes, I'll have uh, families, because families are so dispersed throughout the United States now, where they'll say, oh, gosh, well, it must be cheaper if we move mom to um, Idaho than if we keep her in California. We're finding more and more, whether it be with independent living or assisted living, that those price points are really converging uh, significantly. And so there isn't a super duper big difference in them. So uh, what I will tell you is from my experience, which happens to be in California, and we are, yes, a little bit on the pricier end, but uh, the community costs for independent living vary uh, by uh, often by the size of the apartment that you choose. And usually in these types of over 55 independent living settings, they're usually either a one or a two bedroom setup. And those could run anywhere from a base rate of $2,500 to my goodness gracious, $10,000 if you'd like to like to live in the Taj Mahal. The thing to be aware of in an independent, uh, again, over 55 type setting is that in that environment, it is much more like typical apartment or independent living settings in that it's not only your base rent, uh, while the community may bundle some of the utilities, usually the tenant is responsible for some of the utilities. So for sake of discussion, the community might say, well, we throw in water because they're watering the, the grounds and the surroundings, which the resident isn't really responsible for, uh, but you have to pay your own gas and electric. So it it, it, it really uh, would behoove someone to make sure to, to ask those types of questions because they're not all created equally. Uh, as far as, uh, and then also in these settings, I would say, 
if you do have a situation like we were just kind of talking about that hybrid setting where you could have care and you could have care really in any independent setting as long as you you know chose to contract with an agency then right that would be an additional cost that you would want to factor in and and I'll tell you that at this moment in time those costs have skyrocketed tremendously we're now looking at in-home care uh costing somewhere in the range between 30 and $48 per hour. So it's pretty tremendous. Now, you were also asking about how do you pay for that? Well, I have to tell you, that could be a whole other discussion in and of itself, whether we're talking about paying for independent living or paying for assisted living. What I will say to you is, if you haven't started planning now, plan now. Aging is not for the faint of heart. It is very expensive. Um, And a, a, a misnomer that uh, many people believe Uh, and I think, again, many children of aging adults believe, is that things become less costly as you age, that seniors get all these amazing special discounts, and they do not. And insurance also does not come into play here. So just things to consider. Oh, that's really, really important. Thank you, Nicolette. It's uh, it's just I love the idea about it's really as you want ages, it gets more expensive. I, I I can understand that. It's just the cost of care and the living situation and so forth. So thanks for sharing those insights. I would like to shift gears toward assisted living. So let's focus in on that. And what are the typical services available to individuals residing in an assisted living community? Great question. And and again, here, what I just want to encourage people to understand is that it varies greatly by the assisted living. So first, I'm going to start by telling you what um, what different kinds of assisted livings are, because I think people don't necessarily have a clear uh, picture of what that looks like. So uh, one type of assisted living setting is a larger uh, building, and many of us have, I'm sure, driven past these uh, day after day. Uh, They may be owned by a national company. Uh, They may be privately held, but these are larger buildings that can house anywhere from 90 to 200 180, let's say, uh, seniors in separate apartments. And those um, assisted living buildings are licensed uh, by the state that they are operating in and have uh, caregivers, they have uh, medication technicians, they have um, dining room staff, housekeeping staff, concierge staff at the front desk. In a way, uh, it's so cute, many of my seniors uh, liken them to living on a cruise ship on land. So many of them sort of, if you were to think about if you went on a cruise, you would have your own space, but then you have all these other amenities that are available to you uh, that are provided in this, you know, one centralized area. So that is a type of uh, assisted living community. And by the way, in many instances, those assisted living uh, larger buildings 
also have a segregated area for memory care. So for those seniors who are experiencing some form of cognitive decline that need to be in a more secure environment, they'll also have a very specific uh, setup area uh, where those residents are able to live and thrive and participate in programming that makes sense and meets them along the way for their journey. So another type of assisted living that is becoming much more popular and is much less known is the smaller residential licensed care home. And I, I'm careful to say smaller because in different locations, uh, whether it's statewide or, or countywide, they may vary in size. Uh, most small residential care homes are what they call six-bed homes. Um, historically, they've been known as board and care, but I find that term a little bit unpleasant. So I, um, I I like to refer to them by their more proper titles. So there is six bed licensed care home that again is licensed by the same licensing body in the state uh, uh, that they are in, uh, whether it's the six bed or this larger uh, community. And they are, the reason they're called six bed uh, in many instances is they are capped by licensure in not having more than six residents to a home. And you could be driving by these residential care homes day in and day out in your own neighborhood and not even be aware that that's what they are, other than perhaps you may see people in scrubs, you know, going in and out more frequently. You may see a sign posted on the door that says caution, oxygen in use, uh, things like that, or a ramp leading to a door, which would, of course, make it easier for someone who's using a walker or a wheelchair. So that's another type of um, assisted living uh, option. And then the third type of option uh, is, is uh, unique, is uh, less, less prominent, and it is a C- CRC. And so a CCRC is a continuing care retirement community. And that model is very unique in that you are, instead of these, these other two that I mentioned, the assisted living and the six bed residential home, they're a month to month commitment. So on a monthly basis, you're in essence paying rent. In a CCRC, you're actually buying into that community. And so you may start out that community. I actually had a neighbor who did this. She uh, was uh, completely able-bodied, was living in you know two houses down from me and decided that at some point in time, she, she was aging and she knew that she was going to eventually need additional care. And so she bought into this community, moved into a, 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 a freestanding bungalow uh, lives independently in this bungalow. Her buy-in, um, uh, and I'll just throw this out there now because we're kind of talking about, was somewhere between uh, $400,000 and $800,000 to buy into uh, this deeded uh, type of setting. And then at some point in time, if and when the need arises, uh, she is given an assurance by that community that she can transition into their 
assisted living building, like we were talking before about those assisted living buildings that also have memory care. And then lastly, the CCRCs, also their standard model is they also have a skilled nursing facility on the property, on the grounds, and these are usually kind of larger uh, areas, geographic areas. And that, and the idea is that if something were to occur to her where she needs skilled medical care, less than a hospital, but more than an assisted living, that she would be granted a bed in that skilled nursing, which is geographically closer to her home and where she chooses to be, and her friends and neighbors could come visit her, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that um, has historically been deemed as a very pricey uh, and um, uh, somewhat um, difficult model in that when when you move in, not only are you um, paying this large entree fee, uh, you're you're now you're sort of stuck is probably not the right word, but you're much more committed. And in addition to that, you are still paying a monthly stipend because you can avail yourself to daily meals, you can avail yourself to all of the uh, social activities they have available, whether it be transportation, golf tournaments, bingo, you know, you name it. Uh, and upon your death, now your uh, uh, beneficiaries, kids, whomever, have a deed that they need to deal with. Uh, so uh, uh, pros and cons, uh, but that is the last type of assisted living type setting that uh, uh, is available at this moment in time, right? So, you know, things are constantly changing. Oh my goodness, my head is spinning. There's so much that one has to understand about the different care options and really the settings that you want to live. Absolutely, absolutely. And and again, uh, services and amenities, if you think about choosing a hotel, and I, and I know they're two very, very different things, but if you think about choosing a hotel, you know, you could choose a Motel 6 or you could choose the the W or the Ritz Carlton or you know you name it pick your poison, and 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 these communities really vary as greatly as hotels do. Uh, you have communities that are really very no frill uh, that really are just concerned about providing good care, but they they don't come with all the pomp and circumstance, and so they're going to come to you at a slightly lower rate. Uh, than the other communities. And then you have uh, other communities where, um, uh, you know, they're serving Chateaubriand once a week and doing champagne brunches every other Sunday and have a rooftop deck with live music and a putting green. So really, uh, that can run the gamut. And believe it or not, in the smaller six-bed setting, we're starting to see more of that as well. You have uh, these really very more basic, humble um homes. And then you have homes where you walk into the bedroom that may be available for a resident. And you think you've just walked into a home and gardens uh, display ad uh, with all of the most beautiful furnishings and surroundings and, you know, tranquility fountains and et cetera, et cetera. And, and so um, it, it, the, the, the more that our society is aging, the more that this industry is looking to provide options and choices for our seniors. And that's so important to know. And you're right. I mean, everybody has 
their own choice and what's important to them. And, you know, I was wondering, especially for assisted living, you mentioned really the main point or the main services are really to focus in on those activities of daily living to help support that in assisted living. And you mentioned also memory care um, with Alzheimer's or dementia. I was wondering, you know, how is assisted living typically covered? Is there, are there you know, payers that would support this? Is there Medicaid or Medi-Cal, um, long-term care insurance? What are some of those options that exist? Great question. So uh, again, uh, the the big aha moment that I will tell you probably 80% of my clients' experience is when I share with them that their Medicare insurance will not cover any of this. And that is a huge aha moment. Um, you know, kids often are saying, well, it's no big deal. Mom and dad have great insurance. They do potentially have great insurance and they go to the best doctors and that's wonderful. But Medicare is just as its name, and the reason I sort of say it that way, is as its name indicates, it is for care, medical care. And in assisted living communities or in six-bed licensed homes, you are not receiving medical care. You are receiving, as you correctly said, Cheryl, assistance with your activities of daily living. That could be bathing, dressing, uh, eating, uh, again, making your meals, uh, cleaning your home. Those are the types of activities of daily living. Nothing that requires a nurse or a doctor. And therefore, Medicare does not kick in. Now, um, there are programs for lower income seniors who are on Medicaid in uh, 49 of our 50 states and Medi-Cal in California, because God forbid we be different. Um, <laughs> and Medi-Cal slash Medicaid does have some programs. The challenge, like any other lower income program, is that these programs are so impacted because there is such a great need that for sake of discussion, again, I can speak to my experience here in California. In California, um, if you happen to be on Medi-Cal uh, and you sign up for their um, housing waiver program, you have a likelihood of waiting on a wait list for over three years in order to qualify. And it's not that you don't qualify, but in order to sort of get to the top of the list. And then you have a very limited choice of communities that will accept that stipend. Because right now, communities are really not incentivized. Because if you think about it, if a community can get, for sake of discussion, $6,000 a month private pay, as opposed to $2,500 a month from a someone on Medi-Cal with maybe a $1,000 bonus because you're doing this, it, ultimately it is still a business. And it is a business where they're struggling as well to find caregivers and where cost of everything has gone up. So um, it, it is, it is a, a daunting thing. Now you did mention something interesting and that is long-term care insurance. So many years ago, probably back in the 60s, 
um, many large corporations uh, were beginning to provide their executives with benefit packages, which often included long-term care insurance, which is fabulous. Uh, uh, I, I was blessed. I actually had a family member who had that experience, thank goodness, and I used their long-term care to help. So long-term care insurance was really um, uh, kind of a, a special executive bonus back in the 60s and 70s. So um, that type of insurance is such that uh, it was identified that when someone did need to receive care, and that care could be in your home from a caregiver or in an assisted living setting or memory care setting or a six bed setting, that um, there were funds set aside to help cover that. And you know, you paid into it like any typical insurance uh, program. Uh, the most long-term care policies uh, historically have had a 90-day uh, waiting period. So if you move into someplace or if you need care, the first 90 days is on you. You're paying it out of pocket. And then after that, there is a monthly amount based on your policy, and they vary tremendously, that kicks in. Now, I will tell you that um, uh, now... Uh, there are, again, and for another podcast sometime, there are very creative new types of policies that are coming out because many of the providers of those traditional long-term care insurance policies have quit providing them uh, because, truth be told, they found that it was not a moneymaker for them. Uh, but they are such a godsend for family. So please, 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 I encourage family members, if mom and dad, they may have no clue what the word long-term care is, but look at mom and dad's checking account, bank accounts, whatever statements, and see if they're making a monthly payment, a stipend of some amount out to some insurance type company, check and see if it's a long-term care company. Mm, really, really great insight and great tips on that. And that really leads into my next question is, how do caregivers or family members start the discussion? And really thinking through about if their loved one needs care and and what additional support that they need and how does how can they really start that conversation Nicolette again lovely question and so timely I, I was actually doing a presentation this morning at a senior community and 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 somebody asked that question and it was so cute because one of my uh, one of my dear friends who I happen to help a family member of she says oh my gosh Nicolette has the answer to that um and 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 the answer truly is um First and foremost, what I think we children have a tendency to do is we have uh, created uh, a time and a space warp with our parents. Our parents raised us. They were capable human beings who fed us, clothed us, got us to school, sent us off to college, managed the house, right? And we tend to continue to think of them in that way. And we don't always really check in, to, especially when we move away, uh, as to how they really are doing. And it may be a phone call here, or a phone call there. And um, a, a phone call doesn't really give you a good picture. So um, what I would encourage is that uh, children of, of aging parents have eyes on your parents, go see them, go see them and spend a couple of days and don't just pop in and out, spend a day, 
a day in the life of your parent, because that's when you really will begin to see whether they are struggling or not. And, and truthfully, again, this stoic generation that came before us, they are not going to complain to their children. They're not going to say, honey, I can't make my bed anymore. So I've given up doing that. And it really bugs me, but that's what there is. Or um, I can't do my laundry on my own. So I use this grabber thing to kind of pull laundry in and out of the wash. And half the time it falls on the floor and it's dirty again. So I have to do it two times. I mean, and the list goes on and on and on and on, right? So um, what I would say to children is I'd rather see a senior move into a setting a year too early, too early, what does that really mean? Then a year too late or a week too late. Because I've had clients who have hummed and hawed about these things and in the interim have ended up in the emergency room three times and then, oh my goodness gracious, now all of a sudden the care that they didn't need, they now need. And so now there's an additional cost. There's a decline in their physical ability and sometimes their mental ability. So um, as kids, words that I would encourage children to use. And, and I know this word has a lot of stigma associated, but burden. Uh, there is, um, I, I think that if you were to ask any senior, they're gonna say, I don't wanna be a burden on my children. And so I think incorporating that vocabulary into your discussion with your, with your senior loved one is important to say, look, mom and dad, I know you don't wanna be a burden. And so I really wanna be here to help and to assist you and maybe making some decisions that you might be putting off. Uh, I think another thing is discussing fear. Um, I, I don't think we as children often explain to our parents how fearful we are. Uh, when I get a call from my dad or my mom, I drop everything and I pick up the phone because my fear is it's going to be a call saying from a paramedic saying they're taking them to the hospital, right? And so I think that sharing that with our parent is an important way of showing uh, what the burden is on us, what our vulnerability is, and how we feel about it. And I think, um, you know, our parents don't want us, our parents love us, they don't want us to be scared, uh, they don't want to feel a burden. And so I think that's a great way. And again, um, having a dialogue with them about actually uh, retaining your independence, that in so many instances, what I've seen is that when seniors move into a community that is designed for a senior, meaning uh, doors open automatically, there are no stairs, there are no trip uh, tripping hazards, et cetera, et cetera. The, the activities are designed around a senior's ability to uh, uh, be mobile or not be mobile, et cetera, et cetera. That actually increases that person's independence because they can, for example, let's talk about something as simple as we, we being women, getting our hair done. Uh, in many instances, seniors don't drive anymore. How are they going to go out to get their hair cut, their hair colored, their hair permed, you name it, right? Pick your poison. They, they have to rely on someone else to do that for them. In a senior living community, there's a beautician in the community. They ambulate down the hallway, whether it's by walker or wheelchair or in their own power or on a power scooter, and they're there getting their hair done and feeling like they're doing this on their own. They don't have to call their daughter or son to pick them up. They don't have to call dial a ride, et cetera, et cetera. So there really is a level of increased 
independence when people move into these communities. Oh, that's some really great thoughts. I love the thought of how it increases one's independence. So what questions should the older adult or a family member caregiver ask their physician or their healthcare provider about what their care needs are and and maybe getting some thoughts on the appropriate setting, whether it's independent living or assisted living, et cetera? Uh, Another tactic uh, that is really helpful for a certain age demographic, uh, the the older age demographic, uh, many, many seniors um, are, are of that genre where they believe that whatever their physician says goes. They, they have that level of confidence and respect. And so getting a physician involved can be a wonderful thing uh, in, in helping guide that senior in having the physician say, hey, this might be worth something just starting to look into. The challenging thing is that and, and I experienced this firsthand. I transitioned from the acute care hospital environment into the senior environment. And I thought, oh, I've got this. I've done healthcare for 30 years. They're two very disparate, incongruous environments. And so many physicians have no idea how to navigate that senior setting. And in fact, they may sometimes use terminology that is not appropriate, that sends the wrong message in the senior environment, just because they haven't been educated and and, and are knowledgeable about that. So while I do think that it's important to talk and and really, I think it's important at some point, hopefully, for the kids to get involved and ask mom and dad, hey, you know, I get confused sometimes. I get worried. Can I talk to your healthcare provider? Will you give me permission to talk to them? I think that uh, really, um, the, while the healthcare provider does see certain instances of decline uh, and such, uh, I really believe that where you need to go is you need to go to a certified senior advisor who understands the lingo and the nuances of the senior environment and who also is knowledgeable about the aging process. Uh, So Nicolette, so tell me a little bit more about other resources. You mentioned connecting with a, a certified senior advisor or a local senior care advisor that's nationally accredited. Other people, other resources where caregivers or older adults can can go to seek out that information. Again, I think because our communities are are aging, right? We are, you know, there's the whole conversation about the silver tsunami and, you know, a million and six names they've given to our aging population. Um, There are more and more organizations that are coming about non-profit, non-biased organizations that are are providing uh, guidance uh, to seniors and to their families. And a lot of these organizations are specific to a geographic region. So for example, in Orange County, California, there is an organization that is very specific to this area that publishes a monthly uh, newsletter and a guide. 
and they have a website and they have people that will actually pick up the phone and talk to someone when they call in that can give advisement as to things related to Medicare or Medicaid or where can you get um, uh, free meals. Uh, we have organizations like that, Meals on Wheels. We have there. There are more and more of those types of. Uh, nonprofit organizations that are coming about um, the uh, for for people with uh, a potential cognitive decline, the Alzheimer's Association uh, here in Orange County we have uh, Alzheimer's OC, which is our own Orange County division. Uh, uh, they uh, provide a plethora of resources. Uh, also, what we're seeing more and more of is uh, we're seeing and and they're they're starting to change their name, but. For a long time, they were called adult daycare centers, and then someone decided that that maybe sounded a little bit derogatory, so they're now calling uh, them adult day health centers. Uh, and these adult day health centers are places that seniors will come together, not unlike a regular senior center, but these are places where there are uh, 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 healthcare providers who are doing things like blood pressure checks, uh, medication checks. They're, they have med technicians there that can actually have the senior take their medications while they're there during the daytime. And those uh, centers often have social workers that have connections uh, with uh, uh, other resources within the county that can provide support and guidance. Oh, well, thank you, Nicolette, for sharing all of this insight and really helping to differentiate all of those potential senior care options that really continue to support independence and making sure that your loved one obtains the care that they need. You're very welcome. Cheryl, as you can tell, I'm extremely passionate about it. I uh, I am very blessed. Uh, my mom is going to be 98 years old this year. Oh. Uh, my dad is going to be 89 oh. and I'm very blessed to still have them. And I have experienced firsthand both with them and with other older family members, uh, how difficult this process is to navigate. And I just would prefer to be there to help other people in my situation, the sandwich generation, navigate through this. So um, our seniors deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And uh, hopefully uh, we can continue to educate in, in that way that it allows that to happen uh, very organically. Uh, thank you, Nicolette, for joining us today and sharing with our listeners the important information about senior care options to support healthy aging. To view resources, show notes, and access more MyCareAdvisors episodes, visit MyCareAdvisors.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this thought. The best things in life are the people we love and the amazing memories we've made along the way. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.